Hey, I'm Zanzi, and welcome to Farmer's Inside Track. This is episode 278. I'm your host, Dornumdu. Now, whether you're a farmer looking to optimize your livestock nutrition or an agripreneur seeking to venture into the animal feed production industry, listen up. In this episode, we'll share a guide to setting up a feed factory in Mzanzi. From selecting the right location and equipment to understanding the formulation of high-quality feeds. Over to you, Food for Mzanzi journalist Octavius Pandil and our expert, David Bosolf, founder and managing director of Consolidated Agricultural Services. Thanks, Dawn. David Bosolf, welcome to Farmers Inside Track. We will be sharing some tips on how to set up a feed factory. What is a feed factory and why is it important? Well, thank you for the opportunity and also uh, welcome to your listeners. The first question that everyone that wants to venture into putting up a feed factory must ask themselves is, of course, what would be the purpose of the feed? There's a yardstick which we use in industry because the feed must be fit for purpose. You, on one hand, you have the on-farm mixing, and that is normally the mixing of raw materials or feed ingredients that goes to the farmer that mixes his feed on the farm for his own use. So that is farmers having a few cattle, a number of sheep or chickens, etc., that he can, as I say, grow for his own use. That what the term that we use, on-farm mixing. And then, of course, if you go into the commercial space, then there is much more in play. Then you get to the big chicken houses of the integrated poultry manufacturers, the big feedlots, the big dairies, the big sheep feedlots, etc. If I just go one step back to the on-farm mixing, that can vary from, if you, we say on-farm mixing can start up with a wheelbarrow and a shovel and in feed ingredients and that on-farm feed mixing unit. Or you can go a step bigger than that. You can have a mixer wagon where all your feed ingredients goes into, which you can, of course, feed your animals. But when you go into the space, when you venture into the space of the commercial sector, that becomes a total different story because then your volumes, etc., goes up significantly. Your smaller mills can do around about 5,000 tons per month. Your average feed mill in the industry at the moment does between 10 and 15,000 tons of feed a month with the mega factories doing around about 30 to 50,000 tons per month. And remember, when you manufacture that amount of feed per month, that also entails having that much of feed ingredients on site or being carted by rail, by road into your factory to be manufactured. And of course, then your tanker fleet must take that manufactured feed, the complete feed, to the customers. So that is two very distinctive differences between the on-farm mixing and manufacturing feed to be sold or to be used in their or in the integrated companies themselves. You also asked, why is it important that we have these feed factories on farm mixing as well as the commercial factory? That is because of the production of animal proteins. And animal proteins, of course, meat, milk, egg, cheese, etc. That is a critical part of the protein diet of any human being. 
Can you maybe share with us what is required to set up a feed factory, especially for emerging farmers that are starting to think about commercializing? When uh, on-farm mixing or upcoming farmers want to establish their own feed mills, there is definitely critical items that they must make sure they have in place before starting building anything to in or venture into this. The first item, of course, is your infrastructure. Now, under infrastructure is definitely electricity, water, roads, or rail. Of course, if you don't have electricity or water, that immediately you can't go forward. You can't because these machines or the, the machinery that you will use uh, definitely needs electricity. And, of course, in the feed manufacturing or mixing process, there would be some water needed. If you don't have any roads or rail, your raw materials, it wouldn't be able to be carted into your factory. So you won't be able to manufacture feed. That goes for road or rail. And of course, your final product or finished product won't be, be able to be delivered to the client. And that is when you want to deliver it to the client after manufacturing. On-farm mixing is another story that you can use uh, mixer wagons and tractors, etc. But the critical part stays electricity and water. The second most critical part, of course, is land. As we know in South Africa, you must secure land and make 100% sure. And there can be different types of land. It can be commercial land. It can be traditional land, which still belongs to some of the tribes. And of course, must have the papers for the land. And of course, or the buy-in and the approval of the kings be able to go forward on that land. Thirdly, it's very important, of course, to have a structure or a building. And then uh, on to that, you also need the manufacturing equipment. And not only manufacturing equipment, the manufacturing equipment needs raw materials. And, of course, raw materials needs storage space. And storage can be in bunkers. It can be in silo bags. It can be in physical silos. And, of course, when it's in silos, you need conveying mechanisms to get it into the factory. You need a, a brain for the factory. We call it the control room. And, of course, one of the most important parts is, of course, trained staff to assist in this process of manufacturing feed. Now, the trained staff, of course, can be nutritionists, production people, and also your people that work in your labs. Etc. It all depends on what route you take and what the purpose of your feed would be. It's all what's the purpose of the feed. And what does the input costs look like? You have mentioned what the setup for a feed factory is, and specifically regarding electricity and water and how important those input costs are there. But is there any additional input costs that farmers need to consider? Firstly, I must mention that, remember, South Africa is no different to the globe or international scene. We are part of the international trade of commodities, that's maize, soyas, etc. And the Chicago Board of Trade is basically the price setter in the world. So we are price takers in South Africa. And our prices in South Africa, although we might grow a big surpluses, of maize, of soya, there's always a derived international price, what is quoted on SAFEX as well. 
Cefix, that's the old name. The new name is, of course, the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, the commodities. And you would see um, what influences the prices, of course, of raw material is droughts, floods, international happenings like the invasion of Russia into the Ukraine. And we all know that Russia and the Ukraine supplies the majority of all the, the fertilizer. That gave a rise to prices, a huge rise of prices, because countries couldn't export enough sunflower oil cake, sunflower seed, and of course, sunflower oil as well. We, we all have seen the sunflower oil price at the time in the supermarkets, some places doubled. And then, of course, droughts in certain countries. The major players in international trade in commodities or grains, maize, soya, sunflower, etc., is, of course, the Black Sea countries, that's Russia, the Ukraine, etc., and United States, Brasilia, Argentina. Those are the major price setters in the world and the largest growers of grain and oil seeds. So if weather conditions influences their crop, there is definitely a movement in the prices. We've seen what droughts can do, the Argentinian and the Brazilian market and even the U.S. market that experience droughts, which drive the prices of the grains higher. Now, a simple example also is what we must remember. Not everyone uses maize as the core ingredient in their rations. Europe, Australia, and some parts of Canada uses wheat. Now, with the whole Ukraine crisis, and we also know that Ukraine and Russia is the largest wheat exporters, the people in Europe turned to maize, so they definitely automatically gave rise to a higher demand of maize, giving way to an increase in the maize price because of the supply and demand situation. It's a very complex balance of supply and demand, but we all must make sure and remember we are linked to the international market. And of course, we must remember International commodities are traded in U.S. dollar, and our exchange rate is very risky and volatile. That's the two biggest factors that people must remember when dealing in commodities. So input cost is a huge factor when you start looking towards a feed factory. I can just mention around about 85% of that ton of feed's cost is determined by the input cost or the commodities that's going into that. So if you are a bright procurement officer and you get the prices right, there's great opportunities in feed milling. But the flip of the coin is also if you get it wrong and you sit with expensive ingredients, you will also suffer the consequences thereof. I'm curious to know, there's always advantages and disadvantages when it comes to venturing into something specifically. Could you maybe share with us some of the realities of what farmers could face when they're thinking about setting up a feed factory? Some of those advantages and some of those disadvantages as well. I think proof of what we're talking about, this question, came to the fore during COVID very, very clearly. The agricultural sector was declared as an essential service. So all the feed factories, food factories remained open and the agriculture per se ran through the whole COVID process. And there, what prominently came to the fore is food security because the farmers produced enough food, grains, oil seed, etc. And the processing sector of these products 
also played their parts, manufacturing feed, making sure there's food on the shelves, and feed goes production animals, and processing of meat, milk, eggs, etc. That was one of the significant items or points that we could show as the whole agricultural sector. If you remember correctly, the first year of COVID, we, we were the only sector that grew positively at a 13% growth rate. The second year, we had an 8.3% growth rate. So agriculture showed their necessity in the economy of South Africa. So it would be to the advantage and farmers wanting to venture into this, you become part of a community or a community that is always looking for new technology. You are always part of a fraternity that keeps food on the table of everyone. And of course, what's essential for us is that that food is available, but also safe. You then, the farmer out there that wants to get into this business, is part of the community that ensures food security for this nation. Looking towards the downsides of things getting into the feed business. Of course, I've mentioned the commodity markets. Trade happens in the US, in US dollar, and Chicago Board of Trade is the price setter. That is not always working in our favor because of our volatile exchange rate. So that's things that you definitely must keep in your mind. Of course, there is products that you can hedge your exchange rate, but you must know what you're doing. Of course, one of the downsides is the bigger operations must always have ingredients at all times. And with the latest infrastructure situation in South Africa, that can become a challenge or is already a challenge. Then, of course, venturing in into this, also your labor law requirements that is in place. That can sometimes hamper the whole process. And we all saw that the poultry industry is one big example. Uh, the unfair international trade practices, the different sectors using the feed is quite often scrutinized and uh, under the pressure of unfair trade practices where government must assist and bring in anti-dumping duties, for instance, like in the poultry situation. Currently, South Africa is the number 12 position in the world ranking. Manufacturing around about 13 million tons of feed, but I foresee that there is still, in certain segments, there is room for new developments. David, thank you so much. That is important things that people need to know, especially for the farmers who are thinking about venturing into the specific business. Is it worth it to actually have a feed factory? Would you encourage farmers that are able and capable of setting up their own feed factories to be able to do it? Like you've mentioned, it is securing food security in this country and it helps with some of those instances. I would most definitely recommend this, but uh, with all the provisors that I've mentioned, to do the necessary homework, due diligence, make sure of electricity, water, etc. Work with people that can help you and assist you planning your mill, etc. But remember one thing, you can have a feed mill, you can have water, electricity, etc. But if there's no market that will buy your product, it's senseless starting up something. So, but I still believe there is certain sectors and segments in the South African animal sector and value chain. There is space for upcoming farmers, definitely, specifically in the rural areas, deep rural areas. That is where I see these developments and new mills can play a big role. 
And of course, we must always remember we're not alone in this industry. If a new venture want to, to build a new feed factory, they can always talk to the largest role players in the industry itself and say, how can we take hands going forward in this process? There's a number of things that you can do, which we can assist you with, putting you in touch with different companies, etc., to make sure you are 100% sure you want to build a factory or be an, an extension of an existing factory. So there's a number of choices that you have to make, but we can assist according to the situation because it varies from situation to situation. There's no one size fits all. But I definitely believe there is space in the market. But I want to also maybe ask you for my final question. Is there any other advice that you would like to share with some of our listeners? I think the first point of advice would be do proper research and homework, all the material that you can read. I know the internet is accessible to a number of people, but do your proper research on the feed mill, what is needed in a feed mill. And remember what I've mentioned, infrastructure, water, electricity. Make sure on, on the side of your local council, or would you be able to get electricity? Would you be able to get water, roads, rail? Will the raw materials be able to, to get to your factory? That's things that you definitely must look at. Then uh, proper research also on your market segment, which you want to service. Will the market be able to absorb your product? Is your product aimed at a specific market segment? And of course, most importantly, you mustn't do the numbers. Would your mill or mixing unit be economically feasible? Because if it's not economically feasible, it won't be sustainable. You will invest money. And if you don't do your proper homework or research, that money would unfortunately go to waste. So that's a great, great important item that you must do. The second point of advice, work with knowledgeable people with proven track records in the sector. There is a number of fly-by-nights out there that one day you see them, the next day they're gone. So that's why I say work with knowledgeable people in this industry with proven track records. There's a, a number of them. And of course, I've already mentioned to make 200% sure about your infrastructure items. And of course, economic feasibility would equate to economic sustainability and of course, the, the well-being of your operations going forward. Thanks, Octavia. And thanks for joining us here on Farmers Inside Track. David Bosov, the founder and managing director of Consolidated Agricultural Services. I now understand a lot better what it takes to set up a feed factory in Mzanzi. You can, of course, read more on this topic by visiting www.foodformzanzi.co.za. Now, before we let you go, we celebrate this week's hashtag Soil Sister. After transitioning from media to cultivating flowers, Bongiwe Moile now operates an agribusiness where she actively encourages other women to participate in the agricultural sector and more so the flower industry alongside her. She tells us more about how her dynamic journey started. I come from the beautiful KZN. I have a long career in communication, as you said, uh, spanning over 20 years. In 2016, when I started Butterfly Kisses, I was actually on a journey to really explore more than what I had been doing for 20 years to see if there was more to life. And I locked eye contact with a tulip in my kitchen. 
And that somehow resonated very deeply with me. And it almost transported me to a life where I was involved in flowers and the flower business. After that, I mean, I did my research after speaking to my husband and I started butterfly kisses. I started supplying. What I did initially was just to send arrangements to my friends and started obviously with multiflora as well, doing some training around flower buying and also understanding flowers and the seasons. And then from there, I mean, the rest is history. I founded Cottage Flowers, which was a thriving flower business. And I took it over and unfortunately COVID came. I had to shut down. And after that, also I had to explore what the next chapter of my life was going to be. Obviously, having been advised by my husband to also look at the value chain, it was not an easy period in my life. I never thought I would work with flowers again, but because obviously it was destiny, I went back and also decided that maybe not go back in floral design as I did before, but I started exploring the value chain and flower growing was one of the areas that resonated. This farmer really values the connections and new partnerships she's building, participating in the year-long blended program by Corteva AgriScience and the Gibbs Entrepreneurship Development Academy. I would like to unlearn, learn, impart also knowledge and also make meaningful contribution and connections, alliances, partnership with the women. Let me tell you, it's exceeded my expectations because I'm learning so much about just being in the flower space. There are also opportunities to explore other areas of the value chain, things like bee harvesting, those areas that I never thought would form an, an integral part of the flower business. So I'm now discovering all these elements that we all interconnected somehow, you know, be it fertilizing the soil, somebody has a solution as a grower, and they will tell you that, oh, we can actually partner and align in this particular way. So the partnerships, I know that they'll send me in good stead instead of in terms of my business growth prospects vision in the future, I will definitely work with some of the ladies moving forward. What an absolute pleasure to have you with us here on Farmers Inside Track. Flower farmer, Bongiwe Moile. She's one of the phenomenal women selected to participate in the 2023 Hashtag Sister program. Catch a full interview on www.foodformzanzi.co.za or on Foodformzanzi's YouTube channel. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. From me, Don Numdu, Octavius Pandil, our technical producer, Megan van der Fent, and the rest of the hashtag Team Food from Zanzi. Thank you so much for listening. Bye for now. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring, and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food Form Zanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story.